Hey, today's episode is talking about Coinbase and its IPO. I have a video version of this up on YouTube at Sharing in the Disruption. It has uh, it has a visual aspect to it today. So if you want to follow along with that, that can kind of help out with some of the material in this podcast. But if not, enjoy the podcast and message me on Twitter at Mike Satoshi 4 or leave some voice messages for the podcast and I will get to any material you want me to cover. Hey folks, welcome to the Sharing in the Disruption podcast, where we level the playing field between traditional finance and those of us who are on the ground experiencing the exponential tech changes that we're going through. We are trying to turn the perspective of the 99% of us uh, into one that can outperform those that want to maintain the status quo and hoard wealth based on antiquated and stacked legacy systems. And personally, I believe understanding technology, all the massive changes that are upon us, uh, a lot of things that Mark Invest talks about, a lot of things uh, with blockchain and AI and the new version of, of the internet, uh, technology is changing so fast. And I think that the fact that we experience it on a daily basis, personally, we interact with it, get our hands dirty. That, that gives us a big advantage. And if we're in it for the long game, investing-wise, we have so much more advantage over a trading mentality. I'll give you an example. This this past few weeks, there's been a big correction in the, the tech market. It's, it's been recovering a little bit, like the NASDAQ. And you know there, there's been this drop, I guess legitimately, if you are a short-term trader um, in all these companies that could be affected by higher interest rates and inflation. And there's debate as to, I mean, inflation or uh, interest rates, like, you know, nobody can control that except the Fed. Um, that's another discussion. And interest rates, I question whether that's even going to happen. I think, I mean, not interest rates, um, inflation. I think, there is already inflation in the areas that are going to experience inflation, which is hard assets, digital assets. I mean, we've seen, like during a pandemic, housing prices skyrocket. Uh, you've got Bitcoin. I think that's been eaten into gold. That's why you haven't seen that go up so much. Um, stocks, like you could argue that stocks are overpriced. I think it's also because there's so much money flooding into the system. And um, I mean, just prices of, of some goods are a lot higher. Art, collectibles, baseball cards, all these things people are trying to grab up right now. And that's where you're seeing some inflation. 
and you're also in like lumber and copper and materials for batteries. Tesla says it's going to have to raise the price of some of its vehicles. So you know, these are macroeconomic things that are happening, but in a whole, like I can almost guarantee you, if you buy good tech companies that are on the cusp of innovation, are pushing the boundaries of what's possible, and you hold long term, you will do very good. The people that this may not apply to, I, I can pretty much tell you with a straight face, you're going to do amazing if you pick good tech companies. Um, I will not. I don't try to tell you what stocks to buy or anything like that, but you can just see how over the past like you know, 20 years, tech has massively outperformed all these kind of things that are tied to high overhead and industrials and uh, legacy banks. All of it is, is being overtaken pretty hardcore. Um, if, if you're close to retirement or something, yeah, you should probably put your money into areas that are uh, less volatile. If you're not seeking volatility, don't play in the tech space. But if you need to know that your money is going to be higher uh, in a few years when you retire, this doesn't apply to you. But I've seen my target demographic, or I've seen like the majority of people that, that listen to this podcast, and it's kind of in the 25 to 45-ish range. And I'm, I'm sure there's people older that get lots of value from this too, if you have some like play money and things that you can speculate with. But if we're thinking long-term, these really aren't that big of speculations. So let's move on to what this is about. This is Coinbase that I'll be talking about today. Went public this past past week, and for those of you living in a hole, um, Coinbase is a massive company that's literally come up in a crazy amount of time. Uh, you have Bitcoin come up in like uh, 2009. Coinbase really started, they've been going for about um, nine, nine years now, and it's like 1,500 employees. They, at some point when they IPO, they hit about a $100 billion market cap. It's fallen back since then, and they, they did a direct listing, and there's a couple different, there's three different types of ways a company can really go public. There's IPO which is where the banks are involved. It's kind of a traditional route, and they do this whole road show and, like, go on CNBC and do all these, like, and talk, 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 um, and travel around and try to raise money. Um, that's really good. I mean, it's just been used for everything traditionally, but what I believe that's still really good for is companies that need to raise lots of money, raise awareness about their company because it's just so showy. But... Um, Wall Street gets a big cut of that. Goldman Sachs, all these companies underwriting this whole IPO process, and it's just kind of like buffoonery. Sometimes a lot of money is left on the table when actually between like what the banks set the price at, and you have to. It's it's very hard if you have a company that's pre-revenue and that you don't have a good history of like showing money. That's actually where we work. There is some transparency to it. That's one of the pluses of the system. The negatives is that a lot of people dip their hands into it. Um, they're not very understanding of like the grand vision. Like with, with Amazon, you know, with Jeff Bezos is trying to explain, okay, we don't make money yet, but this is the grand vision. 
it's not a very receptive environment to try to like make a case for how much your company should be worth. Um, but also it does help filter out a lot of fraud, whereas WeWork got crushed when they try to go public because you have to release documentation that um, is very transparent, which some of the other types of going public, not so much. It's also kind of a late stage, so it, it tends to inflate quite a bit going into the IPO, um, and there's maybe more limited upside, whereas some of the other types maybe let you get in earlier, but with more risk. And that's being debated about how there's this whole movement towards like not letting investors like take any risk almost like babying them. And I'm very against that. You know, I think you got to do your due diligence. That's what a channel like minus four is to try to help you. But you also should do your due diligence after seeing me. I don't know everything. Um, and neither does anybody else you're watching on YouTube. So don't, you know, take it, consume as much content. Watch me, watch 20 other people do your own research, get a well-rounded diet, a balanced diet of information. And pull up some good articles, learn to read some charts, learn to research a company, look into their documents before going public, and that'll put you in a good place. So um, there is direct listing, which Coinbase is, where they don't need to raise a bunch of money. They have plenty of awareness. They're, they're trying to raise money. They're trying to get a lot of liquidity to um, get onto the market, maybe before their competitors. And they already have a good brand. And some of the direct listings were very uncommon until recently. And you had some high-profile companies like Palantir, Spotify, what else? There's uh, Slack. I don't, I don't think Shopify was one. Um, those companies, they're well-known companies. And they just chose to do that so they could just say, you know what, this is what we're worth. Bam, going public. And usually it also involves like they can very much control like how much of their company is public and maybe only let a smaller chunk of their, their company be on the market. Now, and maintain more equity. Then there's SPACs, which became super popular this, this past year. They're not new, contrary to everybody being like, oh, this new vehicle. Um, SPACs have been around. They were traditionally known as something that was quite shady to be viewed at. Um, it stands for uh, mm, Special Purpose Acquisition Company. Yeah, sorry. My brain just froze up. Um, Special Purpose Acquisition Company, and it's where somebody gets a pool of money from different investors and kind of puts it somewhere. And what it's a blank check company. It's a blank check company. So it's money looking for a home. And it's on, like once it forms and goes public on the market, uh, it's blank. It can you know, do whatever it wants. It can acquire something with like the votes of the, the people that are in charge of the pool of money. And it usually sets at about $10 a share. And what that money is, is looking for a home. And the clock starts ticking once it goes public. Like if you look on MarketWatch, IPO calendar, you'll see all these like blank acquisition company. Once it goes public on, you know, the stock exchange, 
that money's looking for a home. And it's got like, there's different terms. Some are like two years or, um, and I think at the end of some of these cycles, because we've had a massive swoon of SPACs going onto the market, you might see some just grabbing up garbage companies because this money has to be spent. Otherwise, poof, it gets redistributed to everyone without being put to work. You are, like if you put $10 into a share of a SPAC, you're supposed to be guaranteed that you will at least get that $10 back. With the market dropping recently, you've seen a lot of these. For a while, all these SPACs are just going straight up. And you've had some really bad SPACs. I think some, some of the good ones are still way above $10. Some of the bad ones have dropped below $10, which is $9, $8 or something like that. They, you are protected from losing your money until the SPAC goes through with the acquisition. They do what's called a reverse merger. So the, the pool of money merges with an existing company like uh, some, some decent ones that have come public are like Chamath's, Polyoptia. He had uh, Virgin Galactic and Open Door and Social Finance. And so that pool of money merges with that company. The He has um, – he does – uh, social Capital Hita Sophia was the name of his SPAC, and then it becomes Social Finance. Takes the name and merges the company, and is a normal company once it goes does the reverse merger. Um, but yeah, when those that money drops below ten dollars, then it creates kind of an issue, and a lot of times the people won't approve it once it's it's lost that. And that money is then redistributed back to the initial investors at $10, not $8. Um, but they don't get, if it went up to $18 or whatever a share, they don't get that uh, if it was below. So uh, that's kind of a history of all the, the three different types of vehicles a company can go public. And Coinbase was the direct listing. Let's see. All right. Um, so Coinbase is something I personally use, so I can speak to it um, and not be talking through a butt. And so they are a platform, an on-ramp, if you, feel, if you will, to cryptocurrency. They, they interact with uh, three different types of clients, really. Uh, they really start as consumer facing, you know, people going on buying Bitcoin, Ethereum, they've expanded into more and more kind of altcoins. Um, I don't even like calling them altcoins now because they're like mainstream protocols and stuff. And they are actually known. Um, I think one of the things I really like about them is they even have their own term. It's called the Coinbase effect. They have such a strict vetting process and one of the biggest things they've been all about, Brian Armstrong of Coinbase, is legitimizing crypto. And I know that there's all these different ways you can get involved in the crypto space. I like, I actually got in through Robinhood initially when they opened up their crypto. Then I got into Cash App. But as I got more and more into it, you know, I started talking to people and realizing you, know, you may not really be in charge of your crypto as much as you think you are through the PayPal's and the Cash Apps and the Robinhoods. 
um, and maybe not be able to transfer it out. You have to transfer it back into cash. I know if it's in Robinhood. Um, and you may not have access to some of these really cool things that are in the crypto space. Um, be it you're a lot more whim. They're very, uh, they're giving you very limited selections to what cryptos you can get into. I mean, Robinhood has Dogecoin, and I'm not a fan of that. It can be infinitely printed, and it's just kind of a meme thing. Coinbase is trying to bring legitimacy. Brian Armstrong's worked very hard to, instead of having the ethos of most Silicon Valley, like move fast and break things like Uber did and uh, everybody, like Facebook, they want to move slowly and create um, legitimacy. And yes, you could actually access these markets without a middleman like uh, Coinbase that charges kind of some high fees or a Gemini or a Binance or a um, was, uh, can't think, Voyager. But, you know, it's one of the incentives to be in one of these things is maybe some of the services they provide, some of the security. If you want to just, you could use a decentralized um, platform. I'll talk about that a little bit later. It's actually like a computer program that, uh, or a blockchain program that allows you to buy and trade and kind of do a lot of what Coinbase does, um, like a decentralized marketplace or exchange. It allows you to do a lot of what Coinbase does, but without any humans involved in this process. Um, but Coinbase, a lot of companies are going through them. Look, Tesla's Tesla's gone through them. Uh, other companies that are wanting to put institutional money in, they feel that sense of security. If you're doing it yourself, you have to get a wallet. You have to have what's called a key, which is a series of, of 12 words like computer, door, brick, face. Um, there's 12 words that compose your wallet. And... If you lose that, people, like, there's stories of people just losing all their Bitcoin that bought it in, like, 2012 or something like that. Or uh, it's on a flash drive somewhere they lost. And that's one of the services of Coinbase is custody. And Gemini does custody, and they do cold storage, which is where you store offline so it's not vulnerable to hacking. It's not stored on the, I mean, like, the ledger says... That these transactions happen and you can actually access the ledger at any time with your keys but you have storage offline so that there's always backups and things like that and you can't lose these things and so coinbase offers these services and a sense of legitimacy the coinbase effect is a lot of these coins that are there was a in 2017 there was the ico craze which is all these companies going public or all these uh, coins going public and SEC was like, you know, these are securities. And some of them were complete Ponzi schemes and all this mess. And I think Coinbase through all of this has really just, they vet who is on. They don't just allow any coin like a Dogecoin or whatever onto their platform uh, without having kind of this list of criteria. If you want your coin to be on Coinbase, you've got to submit like a proposal and they go through it and really do go through this whole checklist as to like what criteria it needs to meet, um, how legit it needs to be. And while it's frustrating sometimes because some coins I would like, 
are not on there, you know, it gives me a sense of like comfort that like, it's not like Robin Hood or something where they're just like, oh, we'll give you four coins. And some of the coins they have are questionable anyway. Uh, but they are, they try to put as much as they can on as they feel that it's a really solid thing. They also have like Coinbase Wallet and Coinbase Pro. Coinbase Pro lets you do more trading. Coinbase Wallet uh, lets you have um, your element of custody. You can transfer your Bitcoin and stuff out of Coinbase. So they allow you complete control of it. They also let, uh, you have, like they have their own wallet like where you have, you have the wallet. And you can transfer, and it, they have the API that goes between Coinbase and your wallet, so it's easy to transfer money. And that's what I personally do is put most of my money in Bitcoin and uh, crypto in the Coinbase exchange. And then I treat the wallet instead of like all my money in the wallet, like some people do, and then they lose their keys. I just treat that as like more so like if you needed some crypto to transact with as you would actually have a wallet. As you would actually have money in your wallet, um, like you wouldn't carry all of your money with you at one time. So you carry like what you need. But I also use the wallet because you can um, you can access some harder to find tokens. Like you can access most tokens that are out there on on the Coinbase wallet by doing like a, a tra like trading. You have to move some ether into your wallet. And then you can, or maybe one of your other crypto coins that's Ethereum-based, and then you can swap them. Uh, let's go into, let's have some audio problems. All right, this is Coinbase Investor Relations. Oh, we got a little video on him talking to the CEO of Reddit. That might be interesting to look at. Uh, they talk about their security, introduction to Coinbase. I would recommend watching all this stuff and really learning about them more. Um, why they're competitive, you know, a big thing everybody's been asking them is like, do you guys have a moat? Like, can, like what's different than you guys at Gemini or you guys in these de decentralized exchanges? Why couldn't uh, PayPal and Cash App and all this come in and, or Square come in and uh, take you out? So, that, that'd probably be a good video to look at and understand what they view their advantages as, like what products they offer and their business model. Now, right now, uh, one thing that was concerning is that most of their revenues, they've like gone gangbusters this past year. Tons of revenue. Um, and they released their revenue right before the direct listing, probably because it looked so good. And it would probably, it definitely did boost what they went public as. But... They made lots of profit this year. The year before that, they didn't make profit. They were in the negative. So there is a lot of attachment to, you know, this year lots of people are buying crypto. They make most of their money off the fees, which I said are a little high. Like if you spend, if you buy like $10.99 or less on crypto, it's $0.99. Cents. And it goes up another tier to $1.50. Um, I forgot, uh, up to a certain amount. It's a certain percentage that they take your crypto, um, or they take off the top for you doing this. And they say a lot of it's a custody fee, which, you know, it's convenience and it's 
um, the security of that you, them holding your crypto. So I think that's that's a fair trade-off. Most of our money is coming through fees right now. So when the volume goes down during, we all know crypto goes in these cycles, and when it goes down, they're making a lot less money. And when crypto spikes, you know, Bitcoin goes up to 500,000 in a couple weeks or months, um, they're going to do really good. But if crypto drops down to 10,000, you know, they're very, their fate is very much tied to kind of the crypto market as a whole. But I like it. If, if Bitcoin tanks, people have Bitcoin and they'll lose everything. If Ethereum tank, this is a play on the whole marketplace. And my strong convictions are blockchain is here to stay. Could someone, I know Bitcoin people, maximalists think nothing could happen to ever change this story. But should anything come to compete with Ethereum or Bitcoin, guess what? The whole space like moves, uh, maybe one goes down, one goes up. Crypto still does well. Only if there's a whole crypto collapse does Coinbase really do terribly. Um, I am much more concerned. So I think the space as a whole is going to keep going up. I'm much more concerned with regulators that can attack the space as a whole. I think that's still a threat. And I think that also is why their stock kind of dropped that first day, uh, which, let's see, I think... They had like a target, I think, of 250 or something like that the first day. Point point Coinbase. Their their price varied a decent bit. Let's see. I remember Jim Cramer said like buy Coinbase as long as it's under 480, which I mean, I don't really trust him that much in terms of stuff like that. But just just for a perspective, he's not a traditional crypto bull, though. That's so. I mean, he was pretty excited about that. So the the high, fifty-two week high, and that happened the first day pop of of Coinbase after it went public was four hundred and thirty dollars, and luckily I did not buy it for that. Um. 250 was what it was set at at the time of opening. No one bought it for that. Unless you were like an insider or something. Um, let's see. 381 is what it actually started trading at. 381. And I bought it around 380. But I bought smaller portions, and what I did was, I don't like to buy IPOs on the first day, but if I do, which I did in the circumstance, because I wasn't going to buy it over a certain amount. I kind of had in my head, like, if I can't get it for below mid-400s, not touching it until it drops. But I was okay with buying three. 370 something. I think that was my position. 
starting off. And then I did uh, dollar cost averaging throughout the day. So I put in a smaller position actually, 370. And it proceeded to drop down to 311 at one point. My friend messaged me and was like, oh, it's 311. And then I was like, oh, shoot, I got to get in and look at this. Uh, by the time I got on there again, it was because I was at work and I had to like sneak away to, to buy some more Coinbase. Um, I got it at like 320 something and then 330 something. And I just, throughout the day, I just kept putting uh, additional amounts in. And obviously, I lost money for it dropping. It's at 344 right now. And obviously, I lost money from it dropping down a decent bit. I still don't think 370 was that high. I'm sure glad it buy at 420 or 430. Um, but I dollar cost average down and bought it heavy at the lower points. So I actually really didn't lose that much because my average price went down. And that's what I would always recommend is if you're, you really have to get on something, don't go all in because you don't know if it's going to drop more. And put a little tasty poo in, like put a taste in, and then like see what happens if it, if it goes way up again I mean sucks but I wouldn't like chase it up but if it goes down you at least got in and if it goes down you can just keep building your position more. but you don't have to be in a big rush with these things I really have a feeling there's gonna like crypto is gonna do another crash again at some point uh, there's going to be some stupid news that comes out that makes people lose faith in it. People get bored, just straight up bored. Like it's when something's the hot thing, everybody's talking about it, everybody wants in on it. Um, there's good stocks that came public like a year ago. People could not wait for some of these stocks. Um, and then they sit on the market for like a year or so and not a lot happens. And then people get bored and just kind of, doesn't always happen. I mean, Google went public and then it just kept going up. But a lot of times, just play on human attention, and people have very short attention spans. And that's, you know, I always bet against humans staying focused and having a long view. It sounds messed up, but I bet against people being short sighted and greedy, and I'm not wrong usually. I mean, if. The challenge is me suppressing my greed and or my fear of missing out or my, you know, um, most of investing is controlling yourself and try some meditation. Like, I feel like there should be like meditation incorporated with every investor is it's, it's a mind game and it's something where you always have to check yourself and notice yourself getting all hyped up about something, either because you're losing a lot of money or gaining a lot of money, and really just talking yourself down, being objective about it, and saying, you know, it's not the end of the world if I miss out on this, or I'm in this for the next 10 years, so who cares if it drops right now? I didn't lose conviction. All right. So let's look down a little bit more on this. So here's what Coinbase has as its description. Uh, Coinbase is building the crypto economy, a more fair, accessible, efficient, and transparent financial system enabled by crypto. The company started in 2012 with the radical idea that everyone, anywhere, should be able to easily and securely send and receive Bitcoin. Today, we offer a trusted and easy-to-use platform for accessing the broader crypto economy. So they started off with a very simple thing, Bitcoin, and they've expanded it. 
Here's uh, some company highlights. 56 million verified users. Decent bit. Um, we're at two. What, like one-fifth of the U.S. population, essentially, population-wise. Uh, $335 billion quarterly volume traded. Now, that's not, that's not sales. Uh, but they're taking fees on that $335 billion. And I think it's like a 2% fee or something. So, uh, $223 billion. This is the market cap of assets on the platform. 100 plus uh, countries, so trying to reach global scale. They have definitely some competitors. Binance is, is bigger on a global market. A lot of the ones we know of, them and Gemini and some of these are more US-based. So they've got a long way to go, but the total adjustable market is enormous. Not to mention here, there's still a ton of people who haven't uh, really gotten into crypto. You know, I'm still like, you get some financial incentive for getting people to get onto Coinbase. And I get people that, you know, have dabbled in it. And those are probably people that have dabbled in it are even rare compared to people that aren't in it. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's just so many people who haven't really gotten into this at all. I think of myself as being pretty up on things and I just really got into it. And it's a result of me interviewing somebody that does Bitcoin mining and being like, man, there's really something to this. And that's why I love this podcast is it really teaches me things. I love what I do and I, it just pushes me further into the rabbit hole. And I want to explore things when I kind of get that door cracked open a little bit. And you can always trust me to do that. I'm always going to do more research. Uh, when I discover a new topic, especially something that people are interested in. There are 1,700 plus employees. They've got uh, an earnings call that was in uh, 406. That was before the IPO. Uh, so you can watch that webcast and see how their earnings were going into this uh, IPO. They have so many tools. This is one thing I love about them is for learning, education, understanding. You can earn free crypto. I earned like $37, I think, in free crypto, just learning about crypto. Um, like synthetics or what all these different little crypto tokens. You can watch a video or do a quiz or something and you can earn some. And those sell for US dollars, but I like holding them. So I, I did not just sell them, sell out of them. Uh, it gives you like news and stuff in the app. So anything like related to the crypto, it, it tells you news and stuff. So the the main products, they they have the main Coinbase products, and then they have like I said, they do trading with Coinbase Pro. They have the the wallet, and they have gotten into doing a lot with big corporations that are seeking to put it on their balance sheet. So, let's see, let's go into Coinbase, this products. Okay. Here's, here shows like, this is a whole list of a lot of the cryptocurrencies and they carry a lot of these. All the ones with trade next to that, those are ones that they actually carry. So you can see there's, you know, there's a good bit. 
like I said, they do a lot of research into them, and there's reasons that they have them on their platform, and they're always adding new ones. They added like four cryptos last couple weeks, so uh, one that I was following a lot called Engine that has to do with NFTs. Oh, also with their crypto wallet, it's kind of like MetaMask. You can trade cryptos, and this is outside of the Coinbase exchange. Um, you trade cryptos, like Ethereum cryptos, and you have to pay a gas fee or something. Um, you can also buy NFTs and store the NFTs in your wallet. So it's kind of cool. It's like if you have your wallet, you're like, hey, here's here's the assets I own. Here's the art that I own. It's really cool. Blockchain allows you to just take all of these assets with you. And you can just be like, look, look at these paintings I have or these collectibles and it's a really interesting space. It's like carrying your whole baseball card collection. And while it's not for everybody, a lot of people like me like physical assets, but you really can't tote all of your baseball cards or your collections of paintings and all this stuff around with you. So your game skins. And I could just see this being massive. You could have your title of your house as an NFT maybe someday in your wallet. And you could be like, look, this had four previous owners. Um, you know, the, the builder of the house gets royalties every time the house sold. NFTs allow you to collect um, the owner or the originator of it to collect every time it's sold. It, NFTs are enormous, to, in my opinion. Like, I think, like, Ticket or um, Ticketmaster, uh, Live Nation or something, they could issue tickets. They could get rid of the whole scalping industry. Have you ever gone online and tried to buy tickets for an event? And then you can't get them because people just bought up all the Grateful Dead tickets. Um, they could make it to where if you, like you could buy a ticket, but you would have very high fees. Uh, like the, the owner could buy the ticket, but the, the person you're selling it to would have extremely high fees to buy it second hand um, they could have some disincentive system to selling the ticket so if there was like yeah I guess if the so if I bought up all these tickets for a concert but then there was a, um, some extremely high fee or something people are gonna want buy the tickets off of me so it creates this disincentive of people to buy and hoard tickets because nobody's gonna want to buy it from them because they had to pay like they're paying an absorbent amount of money back to Live Nation to be able to like sell them secondhand. Um, I think Mark Cuban was talking about the Dallas Mavericks and how they could issue tickets and disincentivize like uh, you know fans from selling their tickets and like create this incentive system to where it's more fans that show up at their their games, not just people hawking tickets and stuff. So, I mean, he sees. Listen to Mark Cuban talk about NFTs and like I think he really sees like beyond the hype and beyond uh, a lot of the stuff. I don't think people get it, like the implications of it. Like, I think there is a bit of craziness out there in NFTs right now, but the, the long-term implications, Mark Cuban, Gary Vaynerchuk, look up those two people and what they're talking about right now, and they see like where this could go and how everything in the economy could be tokenized at some point. Uh, was NFT or fungible token or community tokens and this whole concept 
And guess what? Coinbase is a pick and shovel to play this whole space. So that's why I'm really excited about this company. And it's really one of the few ways to invest in this right now. Um, there will be more in the future and diversify. Get in, maybe into Gemini or Kraken, uh, maybe some Bitcoin miners, different tokens. Definitely Ethereum and Bitcoin. I say start with Bitcoin and Ethereum and build out as your knowledge builds. Because it get the risk curve goes up as you get further out from Bitcoin and Ethereum. And this is probably lower risk than Bitcoin and Ethereum, just because it kind of aggregates all of it together. So you got all these different assets. Let's see. Yeah, you can earn up to $36 worth of crypto just by doing a lot of that education stuff. Um, more cryptos. Yeah, you see all the different ones that Coinbase has. They just—they don't just carry anything, but they do carefully curate what they do carry, and they give you a good explanation as to what they do. Decentraland, NFT, uh, Metaverse. This lets you mint uh, synthetic assets, the commodities that go back to like. All right, guys, we are going to go into some of the competitors of Coinbase. So like I said, they allow people to buy and sell. You can earn some free crypto. You have uh, the wallet services right there. Uh, they have a card now. You spin crypto and you can earn crypto rewards. Uh, Jim and I just bought a company that allows them to do that. And... Then one of their more profitable areas is going to be businesses that want to get crypto exposure and get an on-ramp. They have Prime, which is a prime brokerage platform. Custody, institutional grade offline storage. Definitely like separates them from a lot of competition. Commerce, uh, people can accept crypto from anyone if you're a business. Asset Hub, you can list coins and stuff on Coinbase if you uh, go through their hoops and, and get approvals and stuff. Developers, they work with developers to help people develop stuff. Um, like, they have connections to enable users to buy, sell, and store crypto. They have commerce, which uh, allows you to accept crypto from anyone. Uh, Pro, programmatically manage crypto. Rosetta allows you to integrate your blockchain anywhere. Wallet link. Uh, links you with uh, mobile wallets. Bison Trails is pioneering blockchain infrastructure. I think that was an acquisition they made. So let's go into some other other companies that are in this space. Let's see, Kraken is one. We'll go over this real quick. I would like if some of these companies come public, I would probably diversify and and spread out my risk into some of these different platforms. Kraken says they're not coming public until they hit about 10 billion in value, which if they went a lot lower than that would make them look probably bad compared to Coinbase because Coinbase went public so high. It says they're on track. Um, though 10 billion dollars is a low valuation. 
and he would not be interested in issuing shares for anything less. So interested, but yeah, not moving forward with that right now. Here's, here's Coinbase according to Crunchbase. This is an interesting website you can look up. This is really relevant to companies that are pre-IPO. And now they're public, so there's their NASDAQ symbol, C-O-I-N, coin. One thing I really like is seeing their assets, or the number of acquisitions that they've had, and what companies they've really brought under their umbrella to build up their uh, platform. Let's see. Bison Trails, that was listed as a, a, something they have. That was their most re recent acquisition. But what, if you hover over that, you can see what they do. It allows the user to run secure infrastructure on multiple blockchains. So it's kind of a developer assistance program, it seems. Uh, Tagomi, they bought that. It's a cryptocurrency trading platform to provide clients with trade better execution so they can keep more of their returns. So a lot of these things are just to improve their existing system. RouteFire is a provider of trade execution infrastructure in the di digital asset space. This is more for Coinbase Pro. Uh, so it's smart for these companies to, to grow by acquisitions because it can be, there's already infrastructure built and they don't have to just redevelop it from scratch and then have another competitor. Neutrinos focus on developing comprehensive platform for analyzing, tracking, and investigating blockchain and other virtual currencies. So this may be uh, something more for them to research what to carry on their platform. Blockspring is a place to create, share, and run functions. Who knows what that means? Uh, you can look it up. Distributed systems is a digital identity startup and a full stack machine intelligence. So that, like I said, they're trying to be very secure and uh, safe, being not vulnerable hackers or people faking identities and stuff. So that helps them build up that part of their company. Keystone Capital operates as financial services, so it helps them be more of a fintech layer. Vinovate facilitates the discovery, evaluation, and purchase of private company stock and other alternative assets. Maybe that helps them build like some sort of secondary marketplace for like sort of stock-like assets. You can kind of replicate a lot of stocks and um, different stores of value in the blockchain space. So maybe that's something they're interested in. This is some speculation on my part. Digital wealth is a fee-only financial planning and investment investment management firm so they're rolling up a lot of the kind of features that traditional banks can have but they're specialized in crypto so first mover advantage and really just going horizontal with this and vertically to really make their company offer a lot more features that's the horizontal like they've got their main thing and then they're building up companies that kind of give them the whole supply chain and then they're going out into new services that bring in more revenue and what I was trying to say is they have most of their money through fees and with Robinhood like the way you had like Charles Schwab and Fidelity and all that they used to have all these fees for trading stocks and it's 
literally gotten like driven down to where Robinhood offered free trading, and now everybody else does that. And that could happen with this industry. Um, so Brian Armstrong was saying he wants to diversify where their money's coming from, and that can come from uh, staking, like Ethereum. Things are moving from proof of work to proof of stake instead of mining. Um, like a normal person can join like pools of stakers and stake their Ethereum, or if you have 32 Ethereum, you can stake it. Um, but you can get interest and all these kind of financial services on top of doing crypto. And that's, they're, they want to have 50% of fees in a number of years and then 50% in other services and things. And I think they definitely can do that. Uh, Paradex operates as a crypto trading relay platform. So, I mean, definitely uh, building up their, their trading base. So, on this, on Crunchbase, you can also go on to, let's look up Gemini. Gemini is owned by the Winklevoss twins, those guys in the social, not the social dilemma, social network. Um, that's another big crypto exchange along with Kraken. Um, they have made, they're a much smaller company. They've been around and they're one of the more trusted ones. They've had two acquisitions. These are actually pretty interesting. The, so they have kind of taken a little different route in Coinbase. They bought Nifty Gateway in 2019. This focuses on the NFT space. Nifty Gateway makes a fully functional fiat wallet that makes it insanely easy for people to use your NFT project. So it makes an easy on-ramp uh, for NFTs. BlockRise. They bought that. It's a cryptocurrency platform creating the first credit card with Bitcoin rewards. And they're making a big deal about that for Gemini now is that you can, you can buy, like, you can get rewards using your credit card in Bitcoin or Ethereum, I think. Um, maybe it's just Bitcoin. They could probably expand it to be either. Now, let's just look up Kraken real quick. So you can kind of see, I like looking at these acquisitions. You kind of see what these companies are focusing on. You can't really see what they're focusing on internally, but their acquisitions can tell you a lot about where their head's at and like how they think the path to profitability and being competitive is. Kraken, so you see Coinbase has had the most acquisitions. Kraken has the second and Gemini the third. But that doesn't mean anything. It really doesn't. It, it's more the quality of the, of the um, acquisitions. So this is the most recent, 2020 for Kraken. BitTrade is to empower users with the knowledge and tools to safely trade blockchain assets. Um, this is an Australian company, so I think this is them pushing to expand globally. It's probably just a land grab, so it makes them more competitive. All right. I'm going to uh, pick up where I left off. Uh, with, let's see. Okay, here we go doing these different segments. Here's the acquisitions for Kraken that I was starting to go into. And from what I can tell, Kraken is kind of taking a different approach. Whereas 
Gemini doesn't have that many acquisitions, so it's kind of hard to tell where they're going. They're definitely into NFTs and building up a few features on their site, which is their credit card. Coinbase was very much about like really solidifying their platform in the United States, their different services. Kraken seems to be a lot of a land grab. Like you've got Kaviertex, this is one of their earlier ones. This is a Canadian company. I mean, these could all be just like making their core service better, but I can't, uh, you don't see Coinbase as much grabbing up uh, platforms in other countries. And Kraken may be like, okay, Coinbase is really getting a lot of the United States. So I'm gonna, we're gonna branch out and secure some of these other areas before Coinbase gets to them and really establish ourselves as kind of a dominant player. Like I said, you got a Canadian company right here. You know, you've got a lot of stuff that builds up kind of their trading platform. Uh, let's see, Coinsetter operates a Bitcoin trading platform. The tools for Forex, that's currency trading. Clevercoin. Uh, Kraken seems to be a lot more focused on really technical stuff too. Like uh, I think of Coinbase kind of as being more like Apple. It's focused on privacy, user friendliness, um, and security. Not saying Kraken's not focused on some of that stuff, but Kraken seems more technical. Coinbase does have Coinbase Pro, which is very technical looking. But uh, definitely, I think there will be more mass market appeal for Coinbase. Kraken, more technical, and then also looks like they're gobbling up a lot of market share abroad. Clevercoin is based in the Netherlands again, so maybe adding to their core services, but also expanding their reach. Gladera makes digital currency wallets better uh, by providing applications the ability to offer Bitcoin buy and sell services. So this is allowing integration with payments and wallets uh, on the kind of point of sale side. Crypto Watch, this builds up once again the trading platform and charting crypto facilities, London-based. So once again, um, it does give them more risk management and uh, financial services layers. But um, once again, they're, they're going abroad a lot. Uh, Cryptofinance.ai delivering crypto markets data and intelligence in a comprehensible, actionable format. Pull Bitcoin and crypto data, so data aggregator. Uh, which allows them to do a lot more with data. Picks and shovels, uh, crafting tools for investors and traders of digital currencies. So probably more data and how to handle all the information out there. This seems like maybe more institutional. Move 100,000 plus of crypto with our principal OTC desk. BitTrade. This is Australia, so it seems like it builds them up broad more. Um, Gemini is teasing an IPO. They seem, I think Gemini will probably come public before Kraken, even though I've heard more conversation about Kraken. Uh, just from their demeanor, in an interview with Bloomberg, Cameron Tyler Winklevoss, co-founders of the exchange, who helped found Facebook in a way. Um, they were in the social, portrayed in the social network, said they were open to the idea of going public. We're watching the market and we're also having internal discussions whether it makes sense for us at this time. Well, 
I mean, it's kind of the same demeanor as Kraken. Kraken said they just want to be valued higher. I don't blame them because with Coinbase going public so high, you know, public perception is a big thing. Not much is known about Gemini's financials as compared to Coinbase. Company recently increased its headcount to 350 employees and announced it had surpassed $10 billion worth of digital assets under custody, which is very small compared to Coinbase. When I saw $10 billion, you know, you're thinking, that's not their worth. That's um, what they have under custody. Coinbase, I think, is $250 billion or something like that. Um, so much smaller. You know, say Coinbase is getting... 2% fees on 250 billion, that's like, you know, 2.5 billion. Then Gemini, say they have 2% fees, you know, it's um, 200 million. Uh, I mean, those are just, there's all these other services these companies offer. But they may, they may want to be a lot bigger. If the New York-based exchange does decide to tap public markets, then it will become the third crypto business to do so in recent times. Coinbase, uh, North America's largest cryptocurrency exchange, has already filed. We know that. That's what this whole podcast is about right now. Uh, Bakt, B-A-K-K-T, that went public as a SPAC, actually owned by the New York Stock Exchange or ICE, or uh, no, Intercontinental Exchange owns the New York Stock Exchange. They have a crypto project called Bakt, B-A-K-K-T, that I got to do more research on. I don't think they make a lot of money right now, but they came public via SPAC. It is another play on crypto, but that one sounds a lot more risky than Coinbase. Um, and just, just like Coinbase, this, these companies are very... Kind of their fates tied very much to crypto in general. But I, I if if these companies are going to go public, it's going to be during this bull run because they're going to get optimal price. Like you know, Coinbase, if they wait a few years and there's like a big drop in crypto, wouldn't nearly go public for as much as they are. Gemini knows this, Kraken knows this. So either they're going to go public during this bull run, or they're going to wait till the next bull run. Um, and I don't think they want to give Coinbase that much of a head start on them as far as becoming. They know that you really need to establish yourself quickly in this industry or risk falling behind, especially with the flood of money that's going to be coming into Coinbase. This company is a lot more. The exchange has announced partnerships in the past to encourage retail transactions using crypto and launch specific products such as custody solutions. Like we said, Coinbase is focused more around uh, retail, but that's changing. But this company is more targeted at institutional investors. Um, they're trying to get more into retail, but due to a lack of transparency, it's hard to tell whether, um, whether they're being successful in that. So just not a lot known as far as what they're doing. Uh, Binance is another exchange. It's saying they have a market value, market cap value of around 86 billion, which a lot of people probably haven't heard of Binance, except crypto people. That's about as high as what 
Coinbase is right now. They're bigger abroad. Um, they do have a separate U.S. app, but um, really just uh, they don't play as big in the United States right now. Let's see. So that's Binance. Here's some different, so what I, what I did mention was that there's decentralized exchanges, and here's some of them. These are run by almost like an algorithm, not a central company. They've been set up to handle uh, exchanges of money. Some of the ones that actually trade on Coinbase are 1inch, that's a brand new one. You can look up this page at d5prime.com slash exchanges, balancer, Definitely one I've heard lots about. Bancor, Curve, I think that's CurveDAO. Um, Kyber, Kyber Network, Loopring, Pancake Swap, that's not on Coinbase, but I've heard a lot about that. Sushi Swap is on Coinbase. Uniswap, definitely on Coinbase. And you can go here and look up a lot of the descriptions of these companies. Uh, they've got nice little write-ups and probably go, in, go into a lot more depth than I. All right. So what I got pulled up right now is the SEC filing of Coinbase. And this, these are the financial documents they give to investors in the SEC. Shows how many shares they've got public. And this is kind of the technical breakdown a little bit of what is going on with Coinbase. <laughs> so they want to create an open financial system for the world. Pretty, uh, pretty noble view of Coinbase. Our vision, more economic freedom for every person of business. So these, you know, it's just kind of fluff. Uh, Monthly transacting users, 2.8 million. Verified users, 43 million, so like a fifth of the United States. Just kind of some screenshots. All right, so we got 456 billion lifetime trading volume and then 90 billion assets on the platform. So that's actually pretty good. If you, if you look at this, say that's a good portion of people that are like holding things on the platform like it'd be bad if you had a really high top number of lifetime trading um, and then you had a really low number so it's it's good that people are actually storing a lot of money in the system and viewing it it's not just not just a trading vehicle but it's something to hold it's got all these if, if you really want to learn a lot of the terms, it's got a lot of cool terms broken down, mining network protocol, if, if you're having trouble understanding what it's talking about, nodes, there's a lot of really technical jargon within the Bitcoin uh, crypto space. This is Mr. Brian Armstrong, looking, looking good in that, that chair, it's bald head. Um, Kind of outlines kind of his long-term thinking. If you really want to hear his mentality, uh, he's got a kind of a letter to shareholders. Let's see, this is um, this is just a long document that you, you can really like analyze and, and 
breakdown. You've got uh, revenue right here. This is uh, 2019 and 2020. Essentially uh, doubled, more than doubled revenue. Which isn't surprising. People had a lot of stimulus money and sitting at home really delving into this kind of stuff during the pandemic. But they literally went from 482,000 revenue to 1 million uh, 141 in revenue. Let's see. Over a year. That's that's pretty amazing. You can see why people are just kind of like blown away. That's net revenue. Um let's see. Operating expenses. You know, their revenue went up a lot faster than their operating expenses went up. 82,000 to 135,000. I like to see technological and development went up about a hundred thousand dollars, hundred and eighty-five to two hundred and seventy-one. Sales and marketing it doubled, but not not going up crazy. Like a lot of it kind of marketed itself. You're gonna have um let's see total operating expenses. Went up operating income loss. So they went from losing 45,000 on an adjusted basis in um, 2019 to being positive 408,000. So they actually have a PE ratio now, which is, is good. Like a lot of companies nowadays don't come public with a PE ratio. And then other income, I think that is some more speculative bets they're losing money on, but losing less money on. Net net income loss. You see there, that's that's them losing money and that's uh, losing thirty thousand and then uh, being thirty three hundred twenty two thousand dollars positive. So their their financials drastically improved from 2019 to 2020, but I mean you do have to keep in mind that Bitcoin had a bull cycle in 2020 and really took off. There was a lot of money printing, so you know this is this is a company where it's going to be a lot of ups and downs, and you really just got to believe in like what they're doing or just admit that you're a trader. <laughs> and this isn't a trading podcast, so you should probably find another podcast. Um, adjusted EBITDA uh, was $24 million in 2019 and $527 million in 2020. Verified users went from $32 million in 2019 to $43 million in 2020. Their monthly transacting users almost tripled from 1 million to almost 3 million. Assets on the platform, bam, 16 million to 90, 90, bill, 90 million, yeah, 90 million uh, in 2020. No, 90, I'm sorry, 16 billion to 90 billion. Uh, I'm doing bad math. Bad math calculations. Now, risk factors, they highlight some things that uh, could be risky to their company. Dependence on 
off offerings that are dependent on crypto asset trading, including trading volume and the trailing trading prices for crypto assets, ability to attract, maintain, grow our customer base and engage our customers. Changes in the legislative or regulatory. So definitely that's one of my biggest ones is worry about what the government's going to do. Whether it's going to try to shut all this down. Turkey just banned the exchange of, of crypto as a currency. Um, who knows what China could do, Russia. Regulatory changes, ability to diversify and grow our subscription services revenue. So I think they definitely know they have to get away from the fee-based model. Pricing for our products and services, whether that could get driven down, like Robinhood drove fee, fees down in traditional investing. Uh, investments we make in the development of products and services, as well as technology offered to our ecosystem partners. Adding and removing of crypto assets on our platform, macroeconomic conditions, adverse legal proceedings or regulatory enforcement, development and introduction of existing and new products and services by our competitors. So notice they're way more focused on regulation of the government than they are their competitors. They seem pretty like confident in their ability to uh, deliver compared to like they can't control the government that much and like what their policy has become. Nation states are a powerful thing. Increases in operating expenses that we expect to incur to grow and expand our operations, remain competitive. System failure outages, including with respect to our crypto platform and third-party crypto networks, breaches of security or privacy. Luckily, this company focuses on security and privacy a lot. That is something he stresses a ton. Inaccessibility of our platform due to our third-party actions, our abilities to attract and remain talent, our ability to compete with our competitors. And you know what? This guy, if anyone's going to attract and retain talent, he gave $25,000 worth of stock to each of his employees right before this IPO. And it, it's gone up uh, since IPO. So, like, there's like he really even like just kind of lower rung workers got a lot of stock in their company and when it, I, I really like a CEO who shares the bound the bounties uh, the bounties the bountiful blessings of a company with with the workers because I, I think people a lot of CEOs can underestimate like how important it is to have a really good team and attract the best people and I think that's really when you start seeing a company go down hills when they are focused on the growth and stuff, but they neglect their employees. And in this space, the space is moving so fast. Like they really need to pull the best people in the world to be on their team. And really giving them a share of the company's growth is is going to go a long ways in that. Uh, you guys can look this up. This is sec.gov slash archive. I'm not gonna read this whole thing. It's look up Coinbase SEC filing. And uh, you can look through that. And then there's investor uh, presentations on their website. Um, if you go down at the bottom of their website, they should have, should have an invest, 